you're not talking about computers and apps and things like that enough, today I'm going to preach on giving. So just, yes. Last week, uh, evangelism, probably the number two topic most people don't want to hear preached about. And uh, today, giving is probably right up there uh, as number one. So um, I understand whenever I preach on giving in a church or stewardship, there's this... um, there's this temptation for some people to think, you know, it's so self-serving for a pastor to preach on giving. Uh, he's got to get money in the church to operate. The only way he can do it is by preaching on giving. And so um, I, I understand there's this underlying tension that always goes on whenever we preach on stewardship or giving. But my goal, and I'll just be totally upfront with you today, my goal is for you to live the life that God has created and redeemed you to live. And um, Jesus spoke on money probably more than any other topic other than the aspect of the kingdom of God. And the reason he did it is because he knew and even said, where your treasure is, what? There's your heart. There's your heart. And Jesus wasn't going for your treasure. He wasn't going for the fact to say, I want your money. He didn't need your money. He never even took up collections as far as we know, but he knew that the heart of man is closely connected to the resources that he has and what he does with them. And so my goal for you is not to raise money for fullness. Honestly, God has been very gracious to this church. He's been great. You you are a giving people. Percentage-wise, compared to other churches across our country, the normal church uh, you, you guys are way above average. That's not the aspect. The aspect that I want us to see today is we, we, we have been studying this concept that we participate with God. We do what he's called us to do when, we, when our hearts are constantly prepared and we step out together in worship and serving and evangelism and living life together And one of the things that God has called us to do as a people is to participate together in this concept known as stewardship. Stewardship. Um, Giving is essential, I believe, in the life of every believer. Let me say it again. I believe giving is essential in the life of every believer uh, because it pleases God. Uh, not in order to get God's favor, but, but there is an aspect of, of us giving to him. And it's because we are all to be good stewards of all that God has given us. We're going to see this truth today over and over and over and over again, that, that God is the one who owns everything. He gives to us, and in turn, we are to be like our Father God. We're to operate like he does. We are to be a people who give. We love because God first loved us. The concept in giving is the same thing. We are able to give because God gives to us. And it testifies to others of the goodness of God. There is an aspect of a practical nature in that we can accomplish a lot more as a people who give together than a people who sporadically give. There is a participation aspect But I believe more importantly, one of the things giving does is it breaks off the spirit of materialism that is on us. Uh, Every single one of us has this spirit of materialism that 
jumps on us. We want more. We want certain things more. And God wants that broken off of us because he wants our hearts fully invested in him. That's just some, some prelim stuff. And in the past, I've, pro, I've preached um, several times that there are different motivations for why you give, why we all give. One of the motivations that uh, drives many of us to give has to do with guilt. Has to do with guilt. We, we feel like we have to kind of thing. Uh, we, we feel guilty, or someone made us feel guilty, therefore we give. Like, so in the church, I could in some way make you feel guilty about giving money. I could show you pictures of little babies down in the nursery uh, and say, we've got to invest in our future, and if you don't invest in our future, this little baby's going to grow up not to love Jesus and not to have a place to worship, and I could make you feel guilty. And, and honestly, a, a lot of you would give more than you give now for a short period of time. I mean, really, you would feel guilty for the moment. You'd invest and you'd give, but it would not sustain you because guilt, it wears away. And then there's at times a, a responsibility that we feel to give. Okay, I know I'm a part of fullness. I'm responsible. I'm a part. You know, this, this thing takes, it takes money to operate. I understand that, and I feel responsible for being here. Therefore, I need to, I need to give. And, and there is an aspect of truth to that, but these two are lower levels of living and giving. Lower levels. Because I believe God is, is, is even calling us to higher levels. There, I could talk about the need uh, of w what we have here. Uh, for instance, we need to do some things, for instance, to the building. There's a need to give to missions. There's a need, and you might give to those, but... I believe that the higher levels of giving are these. Thanksgiving, I'm responding in thanks to what God has given me and as an act of worship before him. My, my goal as pastor is to move you to levels of living where you're living in a constant spirit of thanksgiving and worship. I do what I do because I'm thankful to God for what he's given me and because I want to express worship to him. Do you understand? It, it, these are major differences. You might give the same $25 out of guilt that you give out of worship, but I want to say to you that it will be life-changing when you give out of worship versus out of guilt. It changes who you are. It changes the nature of your spirit. And um, the church may, or the kingdom may get the same $25, but it's not about the money that's gained. It's about the heart that has changed, the heart of the one giving. And together, I want us to live constant lives of thanksgiving and worship before the Lord in everything we do. I believe that's what it means to participate with, with God. So today, I want to talk about the concept of stewardship, and I want to look at the very familiar parable called the parable of the talents, I want to read it, summarize it, and then give you some principles from it that I hope will help all of us live in these arenas of thanksgiving and worship. Let me say this. I could preach this parable in such a way that you either feel guilty, responsible, or need-based. 
I mean, you can go either one direction with this. And I believe what Jesus is trying to teach is, here's how the heart of a person out of thanksgiving and worship live. Okay, I'll point those, those differences out to you as we go along. So I'm in Matthew chapter 25. This parable is a little repetitive, but uh, I believe that Jesus gives it in the format he gives it for a reason. Let's read it together. I'm going to read, follow on the screen, Matthew 25, verses 14 and following. Better yet, follow in your Bible. But if you don't have your Bible, you can, you can follow as I read along on the screen. Jesus is teaching, and he says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. Uh, let me just pause right here and say, just so you'll know, a couple of things as we're reading. First, a talent is, is not a talent like, oh, I can sing kind of talent. Um, a talent is a unit of money that could be anywhere between $1,000 and $2,500 today's cash. So he's giving 10 to one guy, um, five to another, and uh, excuse me, five to one, two to one, and one to another guy. Based on what? Each according to his ability. He, he, he's the master. He chooses how much he's going to give. Uh, that's key to the, I think, the whole area and arena that we live. God has entrusted to you something based on what? His, his mastery, he's God, his sovereignty, and to who you are, how he, he's made you. He goes on, Jesus does, and he teaches. The man who received the five talents went when? At once. He did not wait. He did not delay. He went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, master had been gone a long time, uh, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. <clears throat> his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I think you get the point. The two guys... Top two guys, the one with five, the one with two. They went out at once. They doubled the money. The master comes back. They present the money that he had given them with the doubled money. And he says, well done. You did, you did well. Now we get to the third guy, the hole digging guy. And he says this. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Think about this for a minute. Basically, the third guy is saying, 
you're mean. I didn't want this money. I didn't want anything to do with it. You gave it to me. I know you're a hard, mean guy, and you expect a lot. I was afraid I'd lose it, so I buried it in the ground. Now I'm giving it back to you. His own words are condemning him. He knows the master expects a return on his money. And yet he says, I have chosen a way. I, it, it, there's a spirit here of saying, look, I just want to, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to really, I didn't want this talent. I didn't want this ability. I didn't want this spiritual gift. I didn't want this whatever. So I'm just going to hoard it, protect it, so that when the day comes, I'll give, I'll give just back to the master what he gave to me. His master's reply is this, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. He's saying, look, you knew these things about me wicked and lazy guy. You knew this about me, and yet you've chosen to walk in this way. Now, I don't totally confuse the master with God. He's not saying they're identical, but he's, he is saying, you know what God expects. You know what he expects from you, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. Live in that way. He goes on and says, Jesus does take the talent from him and give it to the man who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, let me back up. Do you see how I could easily go to need or guilt in this parable? Start comparing the master get you all motivated, get you scared and to where you have to do some stuff uh, because if not, God is going to get you and he's going to throw you out and you're going to be out on the outside with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's going to take stuff from you. That's not the point of the parable. Jesus is teaching a parable, but he's teaching on a different level than this. And again, I think he's teaching in such a way that he's saying, look, if you live a life of thanksgiving and worship, you're not doing these because you have to or you need to or you're guilted to. You're doing it because I love the master and I want to, I want to serve him. And so let me look at this from, again, I want you to keep that framework in mind because it's really important to look at how we live lives of stewardship before the Lord. And let me also say this. I believe stewardship involves every single aspect of who you are, not just your money. Now, there is a money aspect tied to this parable and tied to giving and the whole treasure and heart. So I'm using money a lot. But whenever I talk about this whole concept of stewardship, please don't get so locked in that I'm just talking about your money and that you can honor God with your money and then live like heck the rest of, with the rest of your life. I'm talking about every aspect of who you are as a servant of the Lord. Okay, here we go. You ready? You're more excited now than you were before? Wake back up if you fell asleep during that last part. This, we're going to pick up the pace here a little bit. Number one, think as a godly servant. Think as a godly 
servant. We don't really like this whole servant thing. We're Americans, you know? We, we, we have a different way of thinking. One man, one woman, one vote. I am somebody. I'm somebody special. I'm the master of my own sphere. I, I, I rule and reign here. I'm not serving. I'm either being served or I'm determining my own fate. Biblically, God is sovereign. He is in control. And by the way, I'm not going to get into the, uh, all the political stuff we could talk about, liberal versus conservative. Uh, I'm going to mention some types of, just briefly, economic strategies. But here's the idea. We don't like the idea that somebody else is in control other than us as Americans. But from a biblical, godly worldview, there is someone who is in control other than us. And when we come into faith with God, that means we are serving him. It's the whole concept of a kingdom. A kingdom has a king, right? So there's one king, not many kings. One king, he rules, he reigns. We are a part of the kingdom. We're a part of that. We don't, we don't work in that governmental system today, so it goes against the grain of what we, what we think. But from a biblical worldview, we think or need to think as godly servants. As godly servants, there is an owner. And from a biblical worldview, again, God is the owner. Listen, economic theories uh, abound about who owns what. Capitalism, socialism, communism are battling it out and still in our day and age. Most people say communism is, is dead and gone. Let me just say this, it's not. It is not. And, and I'm not talking about social, the, the Russian communism, you know, the, uh, the dictatorial communism. I'm talking about these economic theories about who owns. Who owns? Capitalism, socialism, communism. Let me say number two. I do not believe that the Bible says there is a biblical economic system that's better than all the rest. Some of you may um, start throwing things at me because you've been taught that capitalism is the godly system. Uh, I do believe that there, I believe there are major advantages to capitalism. I also believe that every, let me say this again, every system is bad because man's hearts are evil. Okay? If, if, let me say that. Systems are not more God. The problem is not the system. The problem is the heart of the people in the system. And whether you go with capitalism or socialism or... And I've told this story before, but uh, I was in Ireland probably a decade ago. And one of my Irish friends was talking about how capitalism was the most evil economic system on the planet. And I was saying, so you think capitalism is more evil than socialism or communism? And he goes, absolutely. I think it, 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 it entices the, I, you know, I've never heard anybody talk like this. You know, really, I mean, I'm American. And um, that was for the rise of Bernie Sanders and other socialists today that are really trying to get, and the modern uh, AOC kind of, I know I'm talking uh, Greek to some of you, but the, 
the, the new socialism that's coming about. So I hadn't heard anybody really talk like this. And I started saying, I don't think systems are evil. I think people are evil. We talked for a while. About an hour later, I was talking to him about something. And he was talking about how um, he had um, he just bought, uh, he's Irish, living in Ireland, and he had just bought a condo in France. And I said, oh, that's, that is great that you have this vacation home in France. I, I think that's obvious. I said, I'm really surprised you bought that. He said, yeah, I had a sailboat. I bought it for this much. I sold it for this much. I took the profit, and I bought a condo in France. And I said, you evil capitalist, you. <laughs> and he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I, started, I just said to him, that is the heart of capitalism. You took something, you made money on it, you did something else. Systems... Here's the idea. Who owns is the key here. Who owns? Let me tell you, there is one biblical worldview on who owns. God owns. God owns everything. You say, well, no, no, I'm the owner. No, you're not, because when you're dead, you don't get to take it with you. It's a simple truth. You don't get to take it with you. Therefore, you don't really own it. You may be renting, leasing, borrowing for this life, but you don't technically own it. And, and I'm, I'm hitting this pretty hard, just be, and I'm a little over-exaggerating some points because I want us to get to the picture, and this is the key to being a steward, is that God is the one who owns. God is the one who owns. There is no other view. God's ownership is referred to over and over and over in the Scripture. I'll just give you three. Here's a place where Isaac, uh, Abraham's servant is talking. And he said, the Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. Here's the key. He sees that the wealth that Abraham has accumulated is not Abraham's, but has come from God. Has come from God. All the stuff that you would say, wow, Abraham, he owns a lot. Abraham and even his servant get the perspective that this comes from God. Psalm says, for every animal in the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. That's God speaking. Acts 17, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. God owns everything. He owns the breath that you're breathing right now. You may get it for a short period, but he's the one who technically owns it and gives it, it, gives it to you. Now, you may be reacting to this and say, listen, I, I think there's some advantages here that go beyond our, our own hearts. There's a balance that comes when we understand God's ownership. In other words, the balance is this. If my income is up, then I don't celebrate more. Like suddenly, I, my mood doesn't go up because my income is up. Hello? In other words, God, God's choosing to do this. Thank God. He's the one who's giving me. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. If my income goes down, I therefore don't get all bent out of shape. I don't get this disaster mentality. Paul says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, 
not according to what he does not have. In other words, you don't live your life based on what you don't have. You base, you base your life on this truth God owns. God owns. Now, I'm going to say this just a little bit, but I don't have time to really get into this. This is no excuse for laziness. Oh, if my income is, you know, I don't have to work. Really? I mean, God owns everything. He's either going to give it to me or he's not going to give it to me. Please don't fall in the ditch on the other side. Don't fall in the ditch. You know, the Bible also says if you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, it's just one of the truths of the Bible. Don't work, you don't get to eat. Listen, it's not an excuse for laziness. Go back to the parable of the talents. Recognition God owns. He's blessed. Now I do everything I can with what he's given me. But the results really are up to him, not up to, up to me. This provides a check. So, to, you know, we're big on checks and balances in our country. The balance it provides in our life, my income's up, I'm still here. My income's down, I'm still here praising God. I'm staying steady through everything. The check it provides is this. It helps me from becoming greedy and making bad spending decisions. <clears throat> when was the last time you went to spend on something and you said, God, do you want me to do this or not? It's your money. It's your, it's your stuff. Kathy and I, uh, we went and uh, bought a car from TV. Not that TV owns cars, but uh, TV works at a place that owns cars. And so um, we haven't bought a new car and, well, let me see, it was before Annalise was born. You know, when you have five kids, you just don't go out and buy new cars. You know, you had children instead of cars. And so we didn't buy a new, so um, my dad passed away. And one of the things my dad um, had said to me um, was, look, you know, when, <laughs> it was kind of funny telling you more than you probably really need to know. I had always said to my dad, hey, dad, do don't worry about leaving me an inheritance. Here's the one thing. Don't leave me any debt. <laughs> kind of joking with my dad. It was supposed to be funny uh, <laughs> that I would tell my dad, don't leave me any. I don't want money. I just don't want debt. So dad did leave money, and, but he, um, my dad loved my wife. Loved my wife and had said, hey, I wish I could buy Kathy something really nice for all she's done for me. So when my dad passed away, he, he left us a little bit of money, enough to buy a new car. And so I said, you know what, Kathy, I think dad would want you to, to have this. And so we prayed about it before we went and bought a new car. Now, it's funny, TV had said, I got these cars in this lot, and I said to Kathy, look, I want you to be happy. You haven't bought a new car in forever. Let's, let's get, what you, get you what you want. And so TV had the cars that were the best deal right out front, so Kathy would have to look at those as she passed in. She comes in, she's, we're looking at these, new, these cars, and again, I'm not... I'm not a new car buyer. I, we really believe in buying used cars. Let me just say that. I, I know some of you are already reacting. Just stay with the story for a second. It's really cute. So she sees the cars. They're like, they're 18s, right? TV 18s we were trying to buy. And then we walk in, and TV's desk is in the showroom. And Kathy walks in, and uh, I said, hey, TV. And Kathy's looking over here, and she goes, I want that one. <laughs> the one on the floor. The newest one. The 19. And I said, I don't think TV can give us the same deal on that one as he can give us on the ones we... She goes, I want that one. <laughs> and so which one do you think we walked out with? 
Here's the point, though. The point is not whether you buy a car or don't buy a car. Save money. To, I, I think there are general financial principles that are an advantage for us to live in, right? I do think you shouldn't be in debt. I do think you should give to the work. But what I'm saying is this. You, we all have to think as a godly servant. God, you've given me these resources. How do you want me to use them? Pray about what God would have you to do. Command those, Paul says, who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know, to me, uh, the, the ascetic lifestyle that says God wants me to be miserable and never enjoy stuff is not biblical. Uh, I do believe God has given us everything for our enjoyment. The problem is we start to worship the things we should enjoy. We start to long for the things we should just be enjoying rather than longing for God, seeing him as the one who owns everything, thinking as a godly servant and saying, I just want to, I'm going to enjoy I'm going to enjoy him forever, and I'm going to enjoy what he blesses in my life. There's a balance here that should help us live, live life. And listen, I know there are extremes on all ends of this, and I don't have time to say, avoid the extreme of this, avoid the extreme of that, avoid. Let's live. I'm trying to hold up the, the standard and say, let's just stay here. Loving God as a godly servant and loving whatever it is he provides for us. Okay, second point is this. Act as a trusted manager. Act as a trusted manager. I, this is one of my philosophies of life and biblical study is this. If you truly believe in your heart the right thing, you will act according to the right thing. You'll act according to what you believe. Uh, it's one of the things I've, I, I could be wrong on this, and I, I want to put that out there, but I believe you act on what you believe to be true. And correspondingly, if you don't really believe something, you don't act on it. So I use this illustration all the time. We, we as believers say we believe in prayer, but I think for many of us, it's just a, you know, I'm supposed to believe in prayer because I'm a Christian. If we really believed in prayer, then what would we do? We pray. You would see that prayer makes a difference. I tell couples in premarital counseling all the time this. If you think you're going to change the person sitting in front of you, you are totally deceived. You have no ability to change another person. Amen? For those of you who have been married more than two days. Amen? You cannot. And, and you know, um, bless most girls' hearts. They come in thinking, I like 95% of the things about this guy, but that other 5%? No, but when we get married, I'll change that. I'll fix that. I'll correct that. And I say to, I say to couples all the time, if there's a 5, a 10, a 15% that you think you're going to change, it'll be worse in 20 years than it is now. That 5, 10, 15%. He's going to become more like that. He probably won't become less like that. And they, they're like, oh, this guy is so off. He doesn't know what he's talking about. 
Listen, I know me. I'm worse now than I was then in those areas. You know what I mean? I know. How do you change another person? You pray for them. Prayer. Your best hope for changing another person is prayer. Not nagging. Hello? It won't change them. As a matter of fact, they'll become more hardened in that area. And I'm not just talking to wives. I'm talking to husbands. Husbands, if there's something about your wife that's bothering you, ignoring it and going silent is like nagging to them. I mean, it'll have the same effect. It'll harden them. They'll do that more trying to get you to talk to them. Hello? You don't know. It's the way the heart is. I'm way off track here. Here's my point. You believe what you, you act upon what you believe to be true. For some of us, we have more faith in our ability to change a person than we do God's ability. Therefore, we take on the responsibility when we should give it to God and say, in prayer, God, change my husband's heart. Change my wife. Same thing happens to be true about your resources and your stewardship. Ron Blue says this. He's a financial Christian, financial counselor. He says, you can't fake stewardship. Your checkbook reveals all that you really believe about stewardship and giving. A life story could be written from a checkbook. It reflects your goals, priorities, relationships, and even the use of your time. A person who's been a Christian for even a short while can fake, at least to others, prayer, Bible study, evangelism, going to church, and so on, but he can't fake what his checkbook reveals. What you believe about spending will be revealed in how you spend. Because, again, I believe every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Now, you may not pray about every single spiritual decision, but you've set guidelines for how you spend your resources. And those guidelines should be based on, I am a trusted manager of what God has given to me. I'm not going to go out and just waste God's money that he's entrusted to me. Matthew says this, excuse me, Jesus says this in Matthew, do not, the Sermon on the Mount, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Riches are uncertain. But what we do with the resources of body, family, breath, words, job, money, all of that, if we act as a trusted manager, will result, will result in us being more fruitful in life. Let me say it again. How you spend is like an investment. It's an investment that's going to bear fruit. And... We can argue about a lot of things the Bible may say, but God is a God who expects fruitfulness. He's saying in this parable of the talents and in other places, God has given you, use it, let it be fruitful. And I think he's saying if, if you do use it, God will, uh, he'll make it fruitful. He'll make it fruitful. The problem is we have a hoarding mentality or a self-centered mentality that this is about us. If we think like a godly servant and act as a trusted manager, then I believe fruitfulness will result. 
God loves fruitfulness so much. He says this, according to Jesus, he's talking about Judaism and other things, but he's saying, look, God's, God's a vine, you're the branches. Stay in him, bear fruit. He's going to cut off the trees, the limbs that don't bear fruit. And even those that do bear fruit, he's going to trim them back. So why? They'll bear more fruit. God likes fruit. God said to man when he created him, be fruitful and multiply. And I don't think this is just about making babies. I think it's about a kingdom mentality of fruitfulness in life. When we think as a godly servant, act as a trusted manager, our hearts will be changed, we'll act in a way that's according to his will, and we will be, we will be fruitful. In the parable, he goes on and says, fruitfulness results in commendation. I don't know, I was going to say condemnation, but that's not it. Commendation. Fruitfulness says, well done, good and faithful servant. Commendation. Not only that, come and share. Come and share. I've entrusted you with a little, I'm going to give you more. Fruitfulness. Are you staying with me here? So, you think right, you'll act right. When you act right, you'll be fruitful. Act right means belief in God. When you're fruitful, you'll be commended. When you're commended, you'll also be entrusted with more. Now, here's the deal. When you're entrusted with more, what happens? I go back again. Let's go. More fruitfulness. I got entrusted with more. I got more fruitfulness in my future. It leads me to a whole different mindset than just being a servant, by the way. I think the biblical framework here is, yes, we are servants, we are entrusted, but we're more than that. We're heirs. You know, when we act, I think when the master says, come, come and share your master's happiness, there's an aspect here that Jesus is leading to. You're going to be more, you're going to be an heir, a co-heir. You're going to be more than just a servant. You're going to be a part of the family business father and sons and daughters. You're going to be included in this business. And as you're included in it, you're free. There's a freedom in that. And you may say, well, the freedom now means that I get to consume. I don't think so. You're not a consumer. You're, a, you're an heir. And I feel like I'm not maybe saying this well, but I, I hope you're catching more, that the Spirit of God is going to reveal truth to you more than I'm able to communicate. God is the owner, the master. He loves you so much that he did what? He gave his only son. He gave the very, very, very best that he had to you and me. He says to us, everything you have is from me. Now, Use it as a servant, as a manager. And, then, and as you do, you'll realize you're more than that even. You're an heir, a co-heir. Okay, I'm an heir. That means God's my father. What kind of God do I have? I have a God who gives his best. So how do I respond? I, in turn, become a giver. Not out of duty or an obligation, but because I have the Father's heart within me. Again, if you missed the opening, 
guilt and need could drive you, right? To say, look, you think you're part of God's kingdom? Yeah, you're not given. You should feel guilty about it. You should get up out of those seats and give money to God. Or responsibility. Or No, rather, what I'm trying to get us to a point of seeing is, Jesus is saying if we act as, if we get the mindset of being a good steward and a good manager and an heir with him, we will be a giving people. Then I don't have to say to you, you know, the Bible, the Bible says this, you should give 10%. And then you say, on what, uh, the gross or the net? I, we don't even have to have those conversations. If you catch the view of who you are in him and what he's given you and what's going on, you'll just say, I just want to give. God, how much do you want me to give? Now becomes the question. How much of your money that you've given to me do you want me to give back to you? And now we're not talking stinking percentages. We're talking about a heart that realizes I'm an heir. And you may say, okay, I'm going to give so much to the church. I'm going to give so much to missions. I'm going to give this here. Because God is, God is directing you to. I have certain beliefs that drive my giving decisions about where I give and how much I give to stuff. But I'm saying, people, you are free in the Lord to hear from him and to give as he directs. But all giving should be out of thanksgiving and worship. I'm going to skip these final passages and tell you a story, and then I'll close down. But if you want to write these down, here, I'll, I'll give them to you. Write down 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Um, just write that one down. Go read it later. I'm going to skip all the parts I was going to tell you about that. It's really good. I'll, I'll do that in the future sometime. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18 and 19 are also good because I want you to take hold of life that is really life right? Life that's really life. Um, I, I had a conversation with, let me back up a little bit. <clears throat> I have five children, and it seems like a car story day, so I'm going to continue with the car stories. Um, you know, Kathy, we made, we made a decision when we were, when we got married. This is our decision. I'm not putting it on you, okay? This is just our decision. We decided that uh, we wanted to have children and that um, for us, we, when our children were younger, we wanted Kathy to be at home with our children rather than work. Now, let me just say this. Kathy is, Kathy's job prospects were much higher than my job prospects. Um, because of her education, the money she was making, she was making like five times as much money as I was when we got married. I was still in the doctoral pro. I wasn't making any money, that's why. I was just teaching on the side, and she was working full-time as an elementary school counselor and had been doing that for a number of years and was doing well. And then we had Jared, and she decided she wanted to, to spend time with him, so she quit her job, came home. Next thing you know, we've got five kids. I mean, it seems like the next thing you know, we've got five kids. I'm pastoring a church that's more of a startup business, um, you know, I, I remember conversations Kathy and I had in those days. How are our kids ever going to go to college? How, how can we ever afford to send five kids to college? And, and it didn't cost as much then as it does now. And then she started saying, and we started saying, how, how, you know, we're going to have like one car and seven people 
How are we going to function? How is this going to it's going to happen. And I got to tell you, God blessed us unbelievably. I mean, unbelievable. We stuck to our financial decisions. We're going to keep giving like God tells us to give, even though, you know, when you, when you give a certain amount to the church, you start thinking stuff like, you know, if that went in my kid's college fund, they might actually be able to go to college. Or my, when they get 16, I might actually be able to buy them a car or but no, we, and this isn't a guilt thing. This is just what God had driven to us. So God blessed us. Um, I've got three boys, and my third boy, Caleb, all, all three of my sons went to Vestavia High School. Have any of you ever driven into the parking lot at Vestavia High School? I'm like, who gives their kids this car? Who, who gives? And I'm not just talking this car, I'm talking about car after car after car after car. And you're like, this is unbelievable. I don't even get to drive this car, much less give it to a 16-year-old to, to, to go drive. Now, if you choose to give your child a nice car, that's fine. I'm not beating, I'm just telling you. They go to high school. So by the time Caleb came along, he, was, he had received this hand-me-down Mazda 626. Do you remember when we used to drive? Actually, the Rosses sold us this car. I, I'll, God bless them, and they sold us the car for a dollar. So we had a Mazda 626. That started with Jared, Adam, Caleb. So it, think about this. Two brothers had already driven this car, much less Cheryl Ross. So Cheryl then, I hope she's listening. Cheryl had driven it, and if you've ever in Cheryl... You understand what I'm saying. Cheryl had driven then the boys. So by the time Caleb got it, this car was pretty beat up. So Caleb is driving this car onto the Vestavia High School parking lot. Not only that, but unbeknownst to me, the fan belt had started squealing. I mean, like, like somebody was killing a cat kind of squealing. <laughs> you know how the fan belt got. So... One day, Kathy comes to me and, and says something like, Caleb asked if we could just drop him at school. And I'm like, no, he's got his car code, you know. And I, I went to Kathy. I said, Caleb, why, why do you want me to drop you at school? He said, Dad, I'm just, honestly, I'm embarrassed. I said, of what? And he said, this car, it just. I said, what's wrong with this car? You know, I'm getting defensive. What's wrong? You're lucky to have a car, dadgummit. <laughs> and then I find out it's because of this fan belt squealing, which I didn't even know about. I mean, I kind of heard it in the background. You couldn't help it here when he left the driveway kind of thing. <laughs> so I knew it was kind of out there, but it didn't really bother me that much. You know, we knew when he came home at 1130 at night. Uh, oh, Caleb's home. Yeah, that's squealing. So I said, Caleb, this is an easy fix. I'll fix the fan belt fixed it, replaced the fan belt, he drove off. But in Caleb's heart, I, I did sense this like, we are underprivileged Vestavians kind of thing. You know, we're living in this culture of... This past week, I had a conversation with Caleb, and he actually said this to me. He was talking about some decisions he's making financially, and he said to me, Dad, I, I just want to... I want to say, I think you and Mom are amazing. He's like, how did, I still don't understand how you did it. How you had five kids who all had a car of their own, 
who all have gone to college, who don't have debt. How, did, how is that possible? He said, because I know what I'm making, and I know you're not making much more than me. And this is true but sad. He's 23, and he's making about what I, And I said, you know, Caleb, every, dis, every spending decision is a spiritual decision. And you honor God, and God will honor you with your money. God will honor you with your resources. And I'm not, please don't hear me saying that to say, oh, look at me and Kathy. I'm saying, I'm saying this. If we all think, and I could call 100 people from this church, I believe, up to tell stories like this. How, how they have been able to operate a life that's debt-free. They're not in debt. I own, my, my house is my debt. And that car Kathy picked out, was, I got a little bit of debt on that. But other than that, I am not in debt. We've lived that kind of life. We've tried to honor God with our resources. We've given to the work of the Lord. All I'm saying, please, I, not on me. This is on God has blessed because God is a good, giving, generous, loving God. He doesn't love me any more than he loves you. He doesn't love you any more than he loves me. If we will think as God wants us to think, if we'll act as he's given us to act, if we give as he's given to us, our lives will be permanently lighthouses to the world around us that we serve a great and glorious God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, I pray that we will know. Lord, I, I know there are people here who are wounded because of any number of things that have to do with resources or lack of resources in their past. And I pray for your healing work to be upon them. I pray, Lord, instead that we will be a people who love you and give generously because we know that you've given to us. And so, Lord, we thank you and we bless you and we praise you. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts today, change our lives, so that we'd be a, we would be a people who give generously. Not because this church needs it, not because I need it, but because of what it does to our hearts. Thank you. Spirit of God, move among us today. Here's what I'd like us to do, people. Uh, we're going to give. And this, giving, this time of giving is not about your money. It's about you. It's about you giving yourself to him. And so we're going to have the offering plates, and we're going to bring them, and we're going to set them out across the front. And you may right away be saying, oh, he's manipulating me into giving money. I, honestly, I don't care if you give a penny today. In, in some ways, I don't care. I'm trying to be honest. But... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out this card, that connection card in your bulletin. Maybe you want to give money today. Maybe God is leading you to give a resource. But here's what you can do. You can write your name on that card and you can say, God, I'm giving me back to you. I'm giving me back to you. Or I'm giving this aspect of my life to you today. And dedicate your heart and again, give to the Lord as an act of worship who you are and what he has for you in the days ahead. And then live it out. 
Live it out in a way that glorifies him because I, do, I believe as you do, you'll be fruitful and you'll see kingdom resources. God has just a couple of opportunities of announcements. While he's doing that, ushers, if you'll bring and put the offering plates across the front, when Scott finishes, Craig's going to lead us, and then let's just all give as God directs us to give. All right. I just have really two things to make you aware of. Uh, we are a, a giving, sending church. We, we uh, believe overseas missions is important, and we're going to be taking a trip. Some people uh, from Fullness are going to be going to Moldova in the fall. The Staffords, Dan and Beth, um, or, or Dan is, is leading that. Um, and the dates of that are September 26th through October 8th. And uh, so if you um, would like to give of yourself, uh, by going to, to Moldova, um, they need to know soon. So if you can let Dan or Beth know by the end of this month, by March 31st, that you are not even not committed to going, but even if you're just interested in going to Moldova, please let them know by March 31st uh, for that trip in the fall. And then also coming up, uh, we're doing something for people who are new uh, at Fullness. So if you are, are new and would like to know more about Fullness, about our story, um, what, we, what we value. Uh, we're going to have something that we're calling Dinner at the Brookins. Dinner at the Brookins. We've called this Engage in the past, but we're going to actually um, have dinner at the Brookins house. And that's going to be uh, Friday, April 5th from 6 to 8. And uh, so you're going to come have dinner. Dinner's provided. Child care will be provided. And uh, get to just hear Pastor Bart share about fullness, ask questions, um, so that's for people who are new. That's not an open invitation for everybody to show up at the Brookings house. Amen. Um, <laughs> but so that's specifically for people who are new and want to, to learn more about us and maybe get more plugged in here at Fullness. Um, that is coming up uh, Friday, April 5th from 6 to 8. So you can put that even on your connection card if you're interested in that. So are you ready to, to give? All right, let's worship God through the giving of an offering. And as God directs you, just come. All things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we thought were breathing in love again. You cause your sun to shine. Darkest nights For all that you've done We will pour out Our love This will be Our anthem song Jesus we love you Oh how we love you You are the Oh, 
prophets from the cross, Old Testament prophecies about the cross and resurrection. Um, Easter week, we're going to have a great week. We're doing a Monday, Thursday, and a Good Friday service here that are going to be very special. So go ahead and make plans to, to be a part of the, the Holy Week uh, Holy Week festiv festivities. If you want to um, receive prayer this morning before you leave, we'll have a couple of teams on my right and my left. Um, that will stay. So ministry teams, if I got to have a couple that would stay and pray for people who might need prayer before you leave, stay and receive prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.